Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. Well, welcome back to our second session on God's will. I'm so happy to be here and uh, getting into God's Word with you together. In session one, we went over some pretty important topics. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, kind of categories. God has a sovereign will, which is His secret uh, plan, which controls all of the outcomes in the universe. I love Ephesians 1.11, which we talked about, which says that He is determining all things according to the counsel of His will. It's really remarkable to think about that. And uh, then the second thing, God has a moral will. Uh, God's revealed commandments in Scripture, which teach us what to believe uh, and how to live. A verse we didn't look at, look with me quickly at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John <clears throat> chapter 2 says, uh, starting in verse 3, uh, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. Uh, by this we may know that we are in Him. And uh, the idea there is, it goes on to say, whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So God's moral will, the pattern laid down by Jesus Christ, obedience, uh, those commands are revealed in Scripture. And we talked about the moral will uh, of God like being the uh, walls in this room. As long as we're inside the walls, we have freedom to move about within the parameters that God has established called His moral will. The third thing that we talked about, which is a little bit more controversial, is the idea that God does not have a specific will for each one of us. We talked about the dot, which is actually not an idea that's original with me. In the book that I just released, and I'm really um, thankful, I guess proud of this, I hope in a good way, is that uh, Gary Friesen, who uh, back in the 80s wrote a book from Multinoma called Decision Making in the Will of God. He, that, that's where he's the one that talks about the dot and how there is no dot. There is no specific place. This is God's will for you. Get on the dot. If you're not married to the right person, if you're not living in the right place, if you're not pastoring the right church, if you're not serving the right uh, mission, then you're off the dot and you're out of God's will. The perfect will, permissive will, that whole thing, uh, not in Scripture. And uh, Friesen was very kind and said that this was kind of the practical application of his uh, published doctoral thesis that he had always wanted to write. I thought it was kind. He said, if you could only read one, read this, because he was really dealing with a lot of the theory and the technical uh, theology of it. And I'm trying to bring this to bear upon individual people who are really wrestling with uh, what God's will actually is. So um, let's uh, slay another giant. Uh, which I would say is a big scripture uh, used to teach uh, improperly about God's will. How many people can call to mind without looking it up what is in Jeremiah 29, 11? Hands up if you know what's in Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of people, I was at a restaurant the other day and the uh, server was wearing it uh, around her neck. You could just see right there the reference. And uh, she's a gal uh, that I know to be pretty far from God. And uh, she's been taught the right, but she's living in the wrong. And Kathy and I uh, go to the same place for breakfast all the time, so we were trying to minister to her. And uh, um, about a year ago, uh, we'll talk about God's leading in another session, but about a year ago I felt the Lord leading me uh, to preach on Jeremiah 29, 11, and I gave her 
the CD of that. And the next time we saw her, she said, I can only listen to two or three minutes of it. And I just, I just, I just can't go there. She's so struggled with what's happened in her life and some wrong views of God's word. But interestingly, she hangs on to, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, plans to prosper you, to give you a future uh, and a hope. Uh, Jeremiah 29, and a lot of people find that verse super comforting. The problem is that they believe that that is a specific detailed blueprint for them. And when life doesn't look like a loving God had a plan for me, um, they can go in the ditch and have trouble as she's having trouble. I'm praying for her even as I'm saying this. They have trouble getting out. So here's a couple of things about this. Um, first of all, the plans I have for you, uh, actually uh, some translations have already kind of corrected the misperception of that translation. It's really, I know the thoughts I think concerning you. And uh, much less like a detailed plan. Um, Moffat, uh, uh, a Bible commentator says that that actually is referring to the purposes I have in mind that God has purposes in mind, and He has uh, purposes in mind for you, ways that He wants to use your life. But that doesn't mean for a moment that if I don't fulfill those purposes that somehow God's up the creek without a paddle. Um, uh, not at all. Uh, first of all, uh, in the context, uh, it's talking about God's sovereign or ultimate uh, purposes, not the specifics that people make. Of it. Secondly, it's a promise to a nation as a whole, and not necessarily to every individual. That's not what the verse is talking about. Uh, it's dealing in broad generalities, not in detailed specifics, as people, I think, want it to say. And it deals with ultimate outcomes, uh, not with immediate details of life. In other words, where should we go for lunch? Uh, what are we going to do tonight? Not so much those things. So I want to just take a second. Uh, and I confess to still be trying to, I'm still trying to persuade you to give up the God has a detailed a plan for my life. I think you're going to be freer. I think you're going to have more joy. I think you're going to have a better way of making decisions. Uh, but let me go through these blessings of rejecting the traditional dot view uh, that so many have wrongly used the scripture uh, to teach. Uh, number one, we can conform our beliefs to the teaching of scripture. Um, there are no Bible passages which connect the phrase will of God uh, to personal life decisions. There's not one scripture I can take you to that where the Bible is telling you how to determine where to go to college, who to choose as a spouse, which job to take, which house to live in, which vacation is right, how many children are we supposed to have. Think about that. I'm telling you God doesn't have a will in those regards but has left those choices up to you. Um, if you think that you've found a scripture that says that, you're welcome to approach me and I'd be happy uh, to discuss it with you. I'll continue to go through some specific ones I used to do that as we just did with Jeremiah 29, 11. Let me say this, there are 27 passages uh, in the scriptures that mention God's will, the phrase God's will, or, um, uh, um, or, or are detailing uh, some information about that subject. Um, let's remember that Joshua 1.8 says, 
Uh, this book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate upon it day and night so that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then he will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. There's a general reference to your future that conforming your life to the teaching of God's word, meditating upon it, living in line with it will lead to prosperity, will lead to success. Not some secret blueprint over here, not some maze that you'll never get through, not some secret detailed plan that you can't figure out, but just conformity to the moral. That's why the book is called The Will of God is the Word of God. This is God's will for us. And if we're living within those parameters, good choices are surely to follow, choices that God uh, will bless. Now, second reason, and I have uh, four of them here, maybe more, Blessings of rejecting the traditional dot view of God's will. We can conform our beliefs to the teaching of Scripture. Secondly, we can eliminate anxiety and guilt regarding God's will. Picture the guy who's, uh, and this is where it really comes down to it, when you have uh, what appear to be um, equally a positive alternative choices. So talk about the young man or the young woman who gets two job offers, move to Kansas City or move to Connected in New York and do the same job for a great company, both with good incomes, both similar distances from my family, similar, 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 similar. And they await, God, which one do you want me to do? Show me, show me, show me. And the problem is because God doesn't answer that question because it's a dumb question, because there is no answer because God is so awesome that regardless of which one you choose, He can fulfill an awesome purpose for your life and still make sure that everything He wants to have happen happens in this world, that surprise, 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 the entire universe isn't hanging in the balance of whether you live in Kansas City or Schenectady. And so what tends to typically happen is because people have the wrong view, they either imagine that God answered one or the other and go around trying to claim that it's one or the other, then feel somehow displaced or misled when bad things happen in the place that was God's will for me. Or maybe worse, God doesn't answer and they start becoming disillusioned about their faith because they're asking a question they shouldn't ask and expecting an answer that God doesn't have or ever promised to give. So the subject matter is uh, quite important in that regard. Blessings of rejecting the traditional dot view. We can conform our beliefs to the teaching of Scripture. We can eliminate anxiety and guilt about go what God's will uh, actually is. Uh, thirdly, we can recognize the validity, this is real important, of equal options. There are equal options, y'all. There are two good choices. Why can't I see what's best? Why won't God show me? What am I missing? Maybe if I were a better Christian. Here's a great scripture. Psalm chapter 31, verse 3 says, You are my rock and my fortress. Teach me and guide me. And then in verse 8, it says this. Psalm 31, 8. This has been a life changer for me. Psalm 31, 8. says, You have set my feet in a large place. Not a dot. It's not a, uh, uh, I hope I don't make the wrong decision. My gosh, where will my life go? What will it do? I got to figure this out. Who am I supposed to date? Who am I supposed to? Inside the parameters of God's moral will, which is God's word, 
He has set my feet in a large place. Isn't it great to know that you're not in danger of falling off of something with God and you won't be able to get back up on that if you make one bad decision? Isn't it great to know that He has set my feet in a large place? You know, sometimes we're so hard on each other and we set each other in such a little place. And as soon as we see a flaw, as soon as we see a fault, that person falls off with us and they can never get back in our good graces again. Come on, everybody, uh, turn to your neighbor and say, God's not like that. I mean, isn't that awesome? God's not like that. He's not like that with you. He's not like that with me. He's not like that with any of us. You're not in danger of falling off of anything with God today and you can't get back on. Now, I hope you make good choices that will bless your life. One of the things I've been saying now for decades is choose to sin, choose to suffer. So, I hope that you'll make good choices so that you'll, good things will happen to you. But if you make a bad choice, come on, as we all do, right? You can get back to grace. You can get back to God. Your life's not over yet. We can recognize the validity of equal options. I think of the person who's like, found two houses. This goes on all the time, the time that Christians put into picking the right house. I could populate heaven with a lot more people. I've got to know which house, God, which house are we supposed to buy? And then they pick one. They have all these stories that we just know that this is the house that God had for us because these different things happened. Or even worse, you know, which car are we supposed to buy? You know, Buick or Olds, you know, blue or maroon. That, that doesn't even exist. It's, and I'm going to get in a later session into how to make good decisions because hear me, your decisions do matter. The fault isn't in seeking to make a good decision. The fault is in thinking that there's only one that constitutes God's will, and I have to figure out which one it is. And I think most importantly, and I kind of slipped into this a little bit yesterday when I was opening um, blessings of rejecting the traditional dot view of God's will, um, we can challenge immature or unwise decisions of loved ones. This sort of, um, I have a life decision to make. We'll call this a stick of dynamite with a fuse. And it's God's will. That's the match. And they look at you and like, go ahead, go ahead. Just, just try to tell me that I can't do this. Has this ever happened to you? Did you have friends in college for, who dated for three months and announced that they were getting married? Hands up if you've heard that story. We're getting married. And everyone's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't think that's a, uh, no, no, it's God's will, they say. How do you know it's God's will? Because I took this super cool seminar from Pastor James, and I think that God's will in this matter doesn't even exist. You won't have time to explain all this to them, probably, so you'll still have to be manipulated by them. Like, you want to blow up? Just try to tell me this isn't God's will. So everybody lets them get married, and sometimes they, pull it out of the fire and beat all odds. And a lot of times they don't. Sometimes they stay together and have a lot of hardship and suffering, learning to love a person that's a lot different than what three months of uh, raging hormones can actually reveal. And, and uh, but the problem isn't that people can't make a decision about who to get married. The problem is they use God's will as a way of deflecting any input about it. For too long, people have used the dot view to intimidate family or friends who would challenge or question their decision. A couple more examples. Uh, 
this happens all the time as a pastor. A couple comes and says, we're, we're going to, we think we, we're going to have another child. Awesome. Except, you know, in a church our size, I'm not always able to remember how many children they have, but I'm fairly sure that's the couple I saw last weekend in the lobby. It takes them about 40 minutes to collect all of their children. I think they have, is it nine now or is it, no, the last ones were twins. It's 10, they have 10 children. And what I want so badly to say is, wouldn't it be good to make a better plan for taking care of the ones you already have? But you're not allowed to say that because they say that it's, everyone knows that only God can give life and hey, it's God's will for us to have another child. And you want so badly to say, could it possibly be God's will for you to tune into the idea of contraception? But you're not allowed to say that. So you just kind of back off. I mean, it just happens all the time. The God's will thing is pushed out. And so wisdom goes out the window. Wrestling with what would be a wise decision given the known factors is set aside. Another example would be, um, this happens all the time too, I'm quitting my job. Oh, why? Well, I prayed about it, and I just feel like it's God's will for me to have a different job. Like, okay, I don't want to argue with God, but um, do you have another job? No, no, I don't have another job. I'm just stepping out by faith. Okay, um, why did you want to leave the job you're in? My boss was mean to me. Okay, well, that's for sure a trial having a difficult boss. But you know, 1 Peter chapter 3 says a lot about subjecting yourself to authority, even when the authority isn't all that God wants it to be, because God can use your submission to that authority, provided it's not abusive and damaging. God can use that authority as a trial to teach you things. How many people have learned a lot living under a difficult authority? See, that's a huge thing that God does in our lives. And I'm not saying that should go on forever, but you know, why do we have to be shut out of the conversation? Because you throw down the God's will gauntlet. I thought there was a fifth one. Here it is. Blessings of rejecting the dot view of God's will. Here it is. We can avoid uh, indecision. <clears throat> because the Bible gives absolutely no plan for discovering God's individual will, it leads to a lot of indecision and many goofy, indecisive, potentially dangerous approaches to hearing from God's will. Let me just tell you a few crazy things people do trying to find a specific individual will, trying to find a dot uh, that doesn't exist. Um, Bible roulette. Ever heard of that? This is like the guy who's very, very, have you heard of this guy? This guy's very, very depressed. And that's a real thing. It's serious. I wouldn't make a joke about it at all. I'm honestly, I think when I was younger, I would have just ripped through this, but now I feel so sensitive. I've uh, dealt uh, as a pastor too many times with the pain and selfishness of suicide. Um, but this guy, <laughs> he's like, I got to know God's will. I got to know God's will for me. And he was so discouraged. So he, he, he flipped in his Bible and he came open to Matthew and he put his finger down in Matthew 27. It says that Judas went out and hanged himself. Not sure that he really wanted to do that. He said, well, I need another scripture to help me. So he flipped around again. He landed in Luke on the passage that says, go thou and do likewise. So he's like, no, it can't be this. It can't be this. And he hit on John chapter 3, 27, uh, what you do, do quickly. 
You know, I, I think there was a time in my life that I thought that was like super funny, but now I just know how confused and desperate people get. And that is such a dangerous thing to do, to go flipping through God's will and the passage that I opened to. We had a lady in the early years of our church who, who <laughs> there was quite a controversy about it afterwards. We certainly never had her back, but she was a famous personality and she got up and gave her testimony. And she talked about how she was sitting in her room and the wind came through the window and the Holy Spirit blew the pages of her Bible open to the passage that she, you know, I really think all of God's Word is awesome, but I'd really have a hard time with claiming that the wind equaled God and the page that it turned to equaled God's will. I would hope that that would set off a lot of uh, alarms in you. Um, this is a true story and it's kind of sad. How many people have ever seen those little promise boxes of Scripture that sometimes people have in their kitchen and they just pull a Scripture and look at it? Uh, this is a pastor's wife, true story, um, dealing with um, the um, illness and mortality of her husband. It appeared as though um, his sickness was going to take his life and she pulled out the first um, little Scripture sheet from her promise box and it was John 11:25 whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And so she took that well this must be God telling me that my husband's not going to die. And then she pulled out another promise it was Psalm 118:7 I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. She's like, that's it. My husband's not going to die. And she ran to God's giving me scripture. My husband's not going to die. And she started telling everyone, I have faith to believe God's shown me through his word that his, my husband's not going to die. What happened? Come on, tell me what happened. He died from the sickness. And where was she? She was in the ditch upside down with the wheels off. I can't trust God's word. I, see, the, it wasn't the word that failed. It was her method and her expectation that somehow God was going to reveal something so specific to her. And uh, some people take the first thought approach. You know, you just get in your recliner and you sit back and whatever thought comes into my head, the first thought that comes into my head, this is, this is God's will uh, for me. And all of this actually becomes an excuse for indecision and waiting for an answer that God never promised to give and asking questions that God never told us to ask. So there is one more. The goal here is to re reduce subjectivity. So let me give them to you. We can conform our beliefs to the teaching of Scripture. We eliminate anxiety and guilt about God's will. We recognize the validity of equal options. And we can challenge immature or unwise decisions that loved ones make. Last two, we can avoid indecision I need a word. I need a light in the sky. I need a special scripture thrown up to me. And we can reduce subjectivity. Subjectivity refers to a position taken um, or a decision made without connection to verifiable facts. That's subjectivity. There's no rational reason for making the decision. I have a feeling. I have a thought. I have a tingle. And now I should. And that's subjectivity. And I don't think we always realize we tend to give so much weight to our own thoughts that we can easily convince ourselves that those thoughts are God speaking to us. And I believe God does speak to us. We're going to get to that. But uh, the illustration I used was one time I, this is going to surprise you, but one time I was in traffic court and um, the people who were up before me, it was very interesting because mine was pretty simple. I was just going to pay my fine and whatever, but there was a little mini trial in the traffic court before me and a guy was accused of breaking the speed limit. He was in a 30 
and he was accused of going 50, and there were two witnesses. Interestingly, one witness said, um, I know he was speeding. I was walking on the sidewalk. I felt the whoosh when he went by. And I'm a slow driver, and I can tell when people are going fast. The other person said, I heard this, the other person said, I was following him, and I was in a hurry. Just before he stopped, I commented to my friend who I was driving with, I wish he would speed up because I thought to myself, he's going too slow. And right then I looked at my speedometer and he was only going like 34. Now there's two people seeing the same thing, both reporting based upon what they were thinking and feeling. I don't have the final answer here. There was no radar on the subject, but it was to me an illustration of the reality that different people experience and perceive different things in different ways. And if subjectivity is how we're getting to God's will, if I could probably give you one thing from this session, it would be God doesn't have an individual specific will for you. And if you keep believing that he does and keep trusting all of these thoughts and feelings and how last night's pizza affected me and what I woke up thinking and what I dreamed about and what I, if you keep doing that, you're going to make some bad decisions that are going to cause a lot of pain and heartache in your life. So closing scripture, Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will for you are my God. And the biggest part of learning to do His will is learning what His will actually is. We're going to pick that up again in the next session. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see Him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. Uh, all the ministry information, Bible teaching, and, and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.